start like this. God is a giver. Now you say that in a church context, in a religious context, most people's minds will immediately go to Jesus. Thoughts of salvation and redemption. But I want you to consider with me that God didn't start his giving with Jesus. Yes, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But consider with me that in Genesis, God so loved his son that he gave him a world. Say that again. I want you to think about it. John 3, God so loved the world, he gave his son. But in Genesis, God so loved his son, Adam, that he gave him a world. The first thing we see God doing in scripture is wrapping a world as a gift to his son. Incidentally, you do realize the earth wasn't made for God. The Bible says heaven is his throne. Earth is his footstool. The earth was made for mankind. It brings up the idea that we don't serve a God that demands gifts from us without first giving gifts himself. Giving. It's an attitude. It's a disposition. It's a character trait we first see modeled by God himself. A few things that he gave in the scripture. He gave Adam a world. Then he gave Adam a wife. He gave Eve a child, not just any child, but after the fall of man, when Eve was riped with guilt and shame, God prophesied to her and said, the seed of a woman or the child you're going to produce will rise up and bruise the head of the seed of the serpent. God invited Eve to partner with him in her own redemption and deliverance. God gave Noah a word of warning. That he was going to destroy the earth by a flood. And then afterwards, God gave him a rainbow as a covenant promise that he would never use water to destroy the earth again. God gave a 99-year-old Abraham a miracle son in his old age named Isaac. God gave Isaac Rebekah. Isaac being middle-aged and not having found a spouse or a mate. Abraham's servant Eleazar goes on the task of finding a wife for him. And Eleazar breaks down and says, I can't accomplish this. God, I need you to help me. And God gave Rebekah to Isaac. God gave Jacob a son named Joseph. Now, Jacob was the first patriarch to model God's gift-giving nature, not only because he gave Joseph, his son, an extravagant gift, a coat of many colors, but it was also a prophetic gift. See, there's something about every gift that God gives. God's gifts are prophetic. They always point to what you will be 
not necessarily what you are now in the moment. Joseph looked silly running around as a kid in a coat of many colors that was too big for him. But the coat was a prediction. The gift was a prediction that he would become a prince that would provide for many nations, many races of people, many cultures, many kinds, many colors. And God's gifts are prophetic. They forecast your future long before it arrives. And it brings me to this statement. Never discard or devalue a gift that God has given you just because it doesn't make sense in the moment. God's gifts are never for the moment. They're always for the future. And I want to tell you, the future will need the gifts that God has planted inside of you. Your children will need the gifts God has planted inside of you. Your grandchildren will need the gifts God gave Moses. A rod of deliverance. He gave Joshua a sword of dominion. He gave David a kingdom. And he gave Solomon wisdom. He gave Isaiah a vision. He gave Ezekiel a valley. And in the fullness of time. God also gave his son Jesus. Think of that. God gave Jesus as a gift. Then something amazing happened. God gave Jesus. Then Jesus started giving. He gave sight to the blind. He gave hearing to the deaf. He gave mobility to the lame. He gave a dry wedding party. Six water pots that had been turned into wine. He gave fish and bread to hungry people. He gave life to Lazarus. He gave liberty to the captives. And he gave love to the lost. And he didn't stop giving when he died on the cross. Ephesians chapter 4 says that even as he was ascending on his way back to heaven. Paul said he that ascended he also gave gifts to mankind. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. And then Jesus gave the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wait, you got God the Father giving all through the Old Testament. You got Jesus giving in the Gospels. And now you've got the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he starts giving. We talked last week about the 18 gifts of the Holy Spirit. Leadership, administration, teaching, knowledge, wisdom, prophecy, discernment, exhortation, faith. We already mentioned the fivefold. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Gifts of service, helps, mercy, giving, and hospitality. And even you, you have been given a gift by God. No one may have noticed it yet. You may not even have discovered and excavated what it is yet. But there's not a person in this room that has not been given a gift from God. And not only have you been given a gift, God made you a gift. 
He made your life a gift. He made your existence a gift. And he intends for you to be a gift to those around you, to your family, to your circle, to people you interact with. You are called to be, destined to be a gift. Pastor, I just don't know what my purpose is. Your purpose is to be a gift. Be such a gift in people's life that they miss you when you're gone. I want all of y'all crying and snotting at my funeral, just weeping, walking around sad. Not because I'm dead, because you don't have the gift anymore. You want the gift to be impactful. You want the gift of your life, the gift of your service, the gift of your personality, the gift of your communication, the gift of your company. It ought to be, somebody ought to feel like they've been gifted when they get some time with you. Look at somebody, tell them you're a gift. But what what good is a gift unless it's given? And I want to ask you, who? Who are you being a gift to? If you're married, you ought to be a gift to your spouse. Not a liability. You ought to be a gift. You ought to be a resource. You ought to be something that pours in, not that drains. Are you pouring into the people in your life or are you always making withdrawals? Are you always draining? Is your attitude a gift or a drain? Is it more of a benefit or is it, or is it more of a liability? Is your attitude a blessing or a curse to the people around you? And, and you're called to be a gift. This involves two things. Number one, it involves seeing yourself as a gift. Because you can't be to someone what you don't see in yourself. This means losing all the victim mentalities and the inferiority complexes and and, and laying down all those negative emotional states of being that prevent you from seeing yourself as a resource. Say it again. I am a gift. Now look at somebody real bold and say, I am a gift. Look at somebody else. Say, I am a gift. And then number two, number one, you got to see yourself as a gift. Number two. You have to be willing to give your gift away. This is hard for stingy people. This is hard for tired people. Because you may not be stingy, but the last thing you feel like doing when you're tired is giving. And yet God has equipped you, called you, and purposed you. To give the gift of your life to the people that he has assigned in your circle. Remember, you are a gift. And you're a gift because God made you a gift. And God made you a gift because God is a giver. I I can't get away from it. I know it sounds simple, but God is a giver. The more you think about that revelation, it will begin to blow your mind. 
I wrote this and started meditating over it and started thinking about it. And I realized it's December. God's been giving all year. He's been good all year. If he gave you anything this year, you've got a reason to have joy. If he gave you anything, if he gave you mercy for your unrighteousness, if he gave you kindness when you deserve judgment, if he gave you a blessing when you couldn't bless yourself, you owe God praise. You owe him thanks. You owe him worship. If he's given you anything... In our text, the scripture says, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, uh, you'll know them from your King James Bible as wise men. That's what they're traditionally called. But the, the real word is Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been? No, notice their question. <coughs> notice their question. Where is the one who has been born? Y'all going to get with me at some point today. Where is the one who has been born? Okay, okay, okay. I want to dispel the notion, and I'm going to kick this horse even though it's dead. I want to dispel the notion that we get from tradition that they were somehow there on some spiritual journey. They weren't seeking the Messiah like the shepherds were. The wise men were seeking a. Okay, hold, hold, that, hold that in your mind. Now consider just a minute the Magi. Only mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew. Mark, Luke, and John ignore their story. Matthew is our only opportunity to see them and to study them. But remember, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, profitable for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. There's a reason their story is included. There's a revelation the Holy Spirit wants us to glean that perhaps tradition has blinded us to. And because we confuse tradition and Christmas carols and children's books with biblical truth, we misunderstand the Magi. We misunderstand the Magi. A few things about them. The Bible never says they were kings. We three kings of Orient. Silly. Bible never says that. The Bible never says there were three. And the Bible never says, in fact, to the contrary, the Bible never says they were present with the shepherds and Mary and Joseph in the stable in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. I think we have a tendency because of ignorance, not being dumb, not being stupid, just ignorance, ignoring the facts, ignoring the text. I think we have a tendency to over-spiritualize their reason for coming to Jesus. They saw no angel like the shepherds saw. They had received no prophecy. They weren't theologians studying holy books and the words of prophecies written in ancient days. They studied astronomy. They studied stars. 
And in their religion and in their paradigm of their culture, they believed that if you saw a significant new and bright star, it was a sign that a major king had been born in the earth. And so God starts dealing with them, not through a preacher, not through a prophet, not through the Torah, not through the law of Moses. God starts dealing with them through a star. Truly, what David said is correct. The heavens declare the glory of God. If you study the customs and the history of the Magi, you'll find that they traveled together in large groups, uh, never less than 12 at a time. The reason for this is their primary way of making a living where they were masters of trade. So they always had valuables on them and you don't travel in small groups if you're packing a lot of valuables. Tradition will say there was three simply because there were three gifts mentioned, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But again, the Bible never says that. Most likely, the commentaries agree, these wise men were the Nabataeans. Controlling the Arabian Peninsula, if you can put your eyes on any of these three screens. What is now Saudi Arabia would have been the Arabian Peninsula in antiquity. There's, there's that, that red line around it. I want you to notice something significant about the geography of this place. Underneath them, they have Yemen and Oman. Those were rival kingdoms. On the right, they have the Persian Empire, the massive Persian Empire, rival kingdom. On the left, they've got Egypt, another rival kingdom. And then above them, they've got Israel, another rival kingdom. So these Nabataeans depended on trade and politics, bureaucracy to survive. They made strategic relationships with every king that surrounded them because they were surrounded. And they depended on the favor of these kings to allow their trade routes to stay open, which went through each respective country. So the Nabataeans, the Magi, they would strategically make trips to every surrounding kingdom to meet with the king. And they would always give the king a kingly gift, their best commodities from their homeland, which were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And they come with gifts for Jesus, not because they believe he's the Messiah. They come with gifts from G for Jesus, not because they believe that he is the redeemer and he is the forgiver of sins and the restorer of the breach between man and God. They come to Jesus because they believe he is the door to their blessing.
They come to Jesus to ensure favor with a king that they believe can open up routes of prosperity for them. And it brings up an interesting distinction because two significant groups visited Jesus and the two groups that visited him reveal the two sides of our God. They reveal the two sides of our Savior. The shepherds visited him because they believed he was the promised Messiah that their teachers had been speaking and writing about for thousands of years. They visited him because they believed he was the consolation of Israel and the redemption that their people had waited on. But the wise men, they didn't visit him because they saw a redeemer or a forgiver of sin or or a promised messiah they visited because they saw him as a king and they knew if you get the favor of a king you have access to all that's in his kingdom the wise men know they need trade routes And all of the routes that they needed were inside the kingdom of this baby king. And I wish more people understood this. Yes, Jesus is Savior. Yes, Jesus is Redeemer. Yes, Jesus is humble, meek, and lowly. Yes, Jesus is the suffering servant. Yes, Jesus is the sacrifice. Yes, Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. All of that is true, but equally as true on the other side, Jesus is King. You must never let your theology be one-sided. You must never let your theology cut out half of what God is. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is king and everything is up under his control. And whatever you need this morning is somewhere in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. He is the king of all kings. He is the king over everything. Everything is up under his domain. You don't have a problem that Jesus is not the ruler over. You don't have a struggle that Jesus is not the solution for. And he's the solution because it's all up under the king's control. And I understand now why tradition calls them wise men. Because they were smarter by nature, by instinct, than the scribes and the teachers of the law were by learning. The scribes and the teachers of the law had so much information about Jesus, they were able to tell Herod the time and the place which he was prophesied to arrive. They had all the information. They heard the rumors that he had arrived. The shepherds were telling everyone. And yet with all that information, they saw the same star. And yet with all of that information, they did not seek him. Because they did not perceive him as valuable. Heard about him, but didn't perceive him as valuable read about him, but didn't perceive him as valuable. There are so many people like that today. 
There are people like that in this room. You came because somebody pulled you by the ear and made you be here or manipulated you to be here. And you've heard a lot about Jesus. You've heard rumors about Jesus. You've read about Jesus. But deep inside, you don't really perceive him as valuable. But I'll tell you one thing. If you ever get touched by his favor... I'm not just talking about salvation, forgiveness of sin, repentance, and all that. If you ever get touched by the favor of the king, if you ever mess around and get introduced to his kingly side, you'll testify like me and say, I can't live one day without the favor of the king. I need you to open up doors for me. I need you to open up the routes for me. I need you to make a way that I can move and operate in the kingdom So the wise men brought a wise gift and God accepted it. Listen, the gift, it only had this much faith in it. Watch this. The gift they they gave, it only has this much faith in it. I just believe that you're able to bless me. I don't know any background. I don't know any tradition. I don't know any religion. But I just believe that you're able to bless me. I believe you're so valuable that what I need is in your control. That's what they were saying when they were laying down the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. I believe you are so significant that my future depends on you looking at me with favor. So I'm giving this to you now in your infant stage so that you'll remember my family after I'm long gone. And when my son comes to you and asks if he can trade in your kingdom, that you would remember the gift I gave and grant my son the favor that you're granting me. That this was their goal. And God accepted it. I said, God accepted it. And, and, and then, and then the gifts they brought, the gifts themselves from their, from their small little area, their small little region, their small little peninsula where they were surrounded by rival and enemy kings, the gifts they brought, they, they start to speak. It's like the Holy Spirit preordained it before time so that the gifts they brought would be a prophetic picture of the destiny of Jesus. Remember, I told you, God's gifts are prophetic. They always speak, not to where you are, but to where you're going. The first thing they brought him is gold. Only produced by breaking the rock. The valuable gold hides in the encasement and the hard shell of the rock. And in order to get the value, the rock has to be broken. Then they brought frankincense. A tree has to be bruised and then lanced in order for the frankincense to be released from the tree. And then myrrh. Myrrh comes from a root, and the root must be crushed in order for the myrrh to be produced. So they brought Jesus 
the fruit of their labor, the end result of their work, the end result of the rocks that they had beat and broken. The end result of the frankincense that had come from the bruising of the tree and the lancing thereof. They brought Jesus the end result of the root that had been crushed. And all of a sudden I look at it and I realize they brought him a prophetic gift and didn't even know it. They brought him what he was. I'll remind you, Jesus is the rock. The scripture calls him the stone that the builders rejected and the chief cornerstone. Paul said the rock that followed Israel was Christ, that that rock was Jesus Christ. And in order for the value to be released to mankind, that rock had to be. And then I'll remind you that Jesus is the tree that was bruised and then lanced, that the valuable nectar could come out. Remember in John 15 where he said, I am the vine, you are the branches, or I am the tree, you are the branches. And that tree had to be bruised. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And then the root that was crushed. The prophet said that Jesus would be a root growing, springing, out of dry ground. One of the names for Jesus is the root of Jesse. And that root had to be crushed in order for us to receive salvation, deliverance, healing, miracles. It all had to come from a crushed root. And I realized when I read it, oh my God, they brought him the gospel. They brought him what he was. They brought him who he was. They brought him the essence of what he would be. They brought him majesty that was produced by misery. They brought him power that was produced by pain. They brought him beauty that was produced by bruising. It was a wise gift. And then verse 11 says, they, they, I just wanted you to see it. They, they came to the house. <clears throat> not the stable when he was born. They came to the house. And the reason you need to know they came to the house is that this would have been about two years after he was born in the stable. About two years old. I just want you to see that little detail so you can grasp this one concept and I'll let you go hang out with your family. The gifts weren't given to him when he was born. Neither were the gifts given to him when he was on his way to the cross. The gifts were given to him in an in-between stage so that you couldn't see immediately what the gift meant. It was just a subtle prophecy pointing toward a future that he had not arrived at yet. And God has been releasing gifts to every single one of you this year, whether you've recognized it or not. But you may not understand it, and you may be confused by it, because 
the gift may not make sense to you where you are now. But what I want to tell you is the gift isn't for where you are now. It's for where you are going. And I want you to be encouraged because God would not have given you a gift that prophesied a future if the future wasn't going to come. Stop worrying about dying prematurely. Stop fretting over getting to your destiny. Stop walking around wringing your hands worried about every single little thing because the gift is a guarantee you're still going to get there. For all of you that have had a hard year, for all of you that are facing difficult times, for all of you going through stressful emotions, I came to tell you, you're still going to get there and the gift is the proof. You're still going to make it and the gift is the proof. God did not bring you this far and gift you that much just to leave you and abort the process. God is going to see this thing through. The devil is a liar. You're going to make it. The devil is a liar. Your future is bright. I don't care what's threatening you right now. God's hand is on your life and your gift will make room for you. They may say there's no room. They may say there's no availability, but the gift God gave you according to the book of Proverbs will make room for you and bring you before great men, bring you before great opportunities, bring you before great promotion, bring you before great ability, bring you before a great crowd, a great concert, a great list of readers, a great list of clients, a great list of people that need your services. Your gift will make room for you. Stand to your feet and give the Lord praise. Why did Herod, after he heard the wise men say, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews. Why would Herod send out a decree that every child, every male child under the age of two years old was to be killed? Why would he release such an attack? Why was he so angry and vitriolic about the birth of this baby? Why did he go to such lengths to try and kill it? It's because Josephus says Herod at one time was one of those kings that the Magi visited to give him gifts to gain favor that he would keep trade routes open. And Herod was so angry because the fact that they were seeking another king in this region and the fact that they had brought so much substance as a gift caused Herod to know that his time was running short. There's some of you that have had the enemy chasing you. Some of you that have had the enemy after you and you had no idea why. It's two things. Number one, the favor of God is on your life. And number two, his time, the devil's time, is running short. Listen to me. That generational curse you've been dealing with, its time is running short. 
that addiction, that anger, that depression, that anxiety, it's time is running short. The reason the attack has intensified in your relationships, in your finances, in your own mind and mental health, in your physical body, the enemy's throwing, just like Herod did, he's throwing everything he can trying to steal the gift. But when God gives a gift, he guarantees its protection. I'm going to say that again. When God gives a gift, he guarantees, he guarantees, he guarantees its protection. I've always had a fear. Maybe not a fear, maybe a, maybe a phobia. About elevators. Ever since I was a little boy, I would always take a deep breath before I stepped off of the hard concrete floor into the suspended cable car, perched high above the ground of an elevator. I used to pray under my breath, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Every time I stepped on an elevator, that was when I was a child. I thought as a child, spoke as a child, understood as a child. But when I became a man, I still get a little nervous. I'll be 40 this year. In my 40 years, I've never had an elevator crash on me. I've never been in an accident, never had a problem, but always carry that, that thing. My wife gave me a Christmas present early. There is nothing, listen to me, nothing other than Jesus, Katie, and my kids and my family. There's nothing I love more than getting on the highest ski mountain I can get on in Colorado by myself and ski until I feel like my legs are going to fall off. Does something to my psyche. Does something to my mind. Does something to my soul. So she took me skiing and it was a surprise and it was amazing and I, I, was, I was so happy and, and the first morning that, I, that I'm going to get to go skiing I got all my stuff I'm getting ready I'm getting all pumped up and I get on. <laughs> Very quietly, the fears of my childhood mind remind me you don't like elevators. But I can't hear them because I'm about to get on the mountain. Listen, listen, listen. listen. And I. I push the button. I'm up high, you know. And to my shock, like Job said, the thing I feared the most came upon me. That elevator dropped, broke, and I fell. And more importantly than that, they had this huge, beautiful piece of art framed in steel and glass hanging on the back 
And when that elevator came to a stop, it fell off the back of the elevator wall, landed on my head, and glass busted in a million pieces. Have you ever been in an accident and for a minute you had to check and see if you were alive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. And I started thinking in that moment, how did I make it through this? And God spoke to me and said, when I give you a gift, I guarantee it's protection. Listen, listen. It's not so much that God has protected you as a person. I know that's lovely to think about, but you would be better off as a person if the reality were known, if you were to go be with God. It's not so much that he has protected you as a person. You want to know how you've made it through everything you've made it through? God was protecting the gift. Because there's a gift inside of you. There's a destiny inside of you. You may be going through times of weakness. You may be in sin. You may be in disease. You may be in lack. You may be in so many things causing you not to see it. But God gave you a gift and made you a gift. And the reason the gun couldn't kill you. The reason the accident couldn't kill you. The reason SIDS didn't kill you. The reason AIDS didn't get you. The reason the drug overdose didn't get you. The reason all of the things that you've been through we're not able to take you out is because when God gives a gift he ensures its protection if God was that committed to ensuring your gift to beating the devil off of your life to preserving your life from destruction if he was that committed isn't it time you discover what it is and isn't it time you begin to realize and see your life for what it is? That your life is a gift and there are recipients, God-ordained recipients all around you. I don't care if you are high on drugs in here this morning right now listening to me. You're still a gift. I don't care if you're drunk as a skunk. You're a gift. I don't care if your life is falling apart. All of that is just a distraction from what you really are. You are a gift. And Herod couldn't get Jesus. And the devil can't get you. Because God gave you a gift. And made you a gift. And it's a wise gift. God knew what he was doing. God knew what he was doing. God knew what he was making. You have been fearfully and wonderfully made by God because God gave you. He gave you a gift. So I challenge you today. I charge you today. Some of you I'll see in a few days. Some of you I won't see again. But during this precious moment, this intimate time, and it is that for me, I take it so seriously and it's, it's so humbling to me that I get the opportunity to put words in your ears. I want to remind you what you are. You're a gift.
You have a gift. So be, be a wise gift to everyone around you. Father, in the name of Jesus, for every person that doesn't know you or has strayed from you, I pray your spirit call them and draw them back to who you are. Your word says that no person can say with faith that Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit is drawing and working on them. Your word says in the book of Romans chapter 10 that if we are able to confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, the Lordship of Jesus, and if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord in faith will be saved. I understand how personal of a decision that is, Father. But for every person who wants to connect to you right now, for every person who wants to receive both sides of Jesus, both the forgiveness of sin, the eternal life, the redemption, or that they need to receive the blessing, the opening of doors, the releasing of the trade routes, the the favor that guarantees a future wherever they're standing. You're watching right now. If you're one of those people, you need one or the other. I want you to slip up your hand right where you're standing and slip it up high. Slip it up high. Slip it up high. Father, you see them right where they're at. You see them. You know what they're going through. You know what they're facing. And as we pray together, Lord, I pray heaven hears and I pray heaven helps and responds to the faith in this room in this moment. Lord Jesus, I confess you. And Lord Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. And on the third day, you rose again. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cover me. And I ask you for your favor. I want it all. Not just one side of who you are. Not just what the shepherd saw. I want what the wise men saw too. I know that you are him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all I can ask or think. And I receive it all in this moment by faith in the name of Jesus Christ. Give God one more hand clap of praise. God is a giver. Let's imitate him. That's what Peter said. He said, be imitators. Like little children, be imitators. Be copiers of God. You're never going to be able to copy his holiness or his righteousness or his perfection. But we can copy him in this way. We can be givers. Let's, let's get an offering for the Lord. He's given so much to us. He's been so good to us. And before you put down an amount, I want to just challenge you. Make it a wise gift. The gift of the Magi was so significant because... <clears throat> Each thing they gave spoke to an intended purpose. When you give an offering, it should always have an intended purpose. When you give a gift to God, it should always have an intended purpose. And I want to encourage you, those of you who are givers, those of you who are giving today, I want to encourage you, get your heart involved. Get your thoughts, your memories involved. And give a wise, a wise a wise gift. 
Now, Father, who blesses? Father, who gives? Father, who loves to give? Father, who reigns prosperity on his people? I pray that you bless those that are making the wise decision to honor you with their substance and with their giving. We've tithed out of obedience. Your word tells us to do that. But giving is our choice. And those of us that are making the decision to do it, I pray supernatural favor, supernatural increase, supernatural open doors over their life, not next year, before the end of this year. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. If you have something you want to bring, you can bring it. If you want to use your phone and text it, you can text it. One more time, I really hope that you'll come spend some time with us Christmas Eve. Everything is free. All the stuff we're going to be doing is free. We just want to be a family and love on you together. May the Lord your God bless you. May the Lord your God keep you. May he lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you go from this place blessed in Jesus' name.